Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the distinct honor of connecting with Gabby Bernstein, who is a spiritual teacher, motivational speaker, and a catalyst for profound interchange. She has a new book, Happy Days, which I have had the joy of reading twice. And we had an opportunity during our conversation to talk about undoing patterns that have left us feeling unworthy of love, the impact of big and little t traumas on the brain, how our coping mechanisms are likely a reflection of the traumas we've experienced, the value of supporting the autonomic nervous system and specifically the sympathetic overdrive, which is a chronic state of hyperarousal and the impact of shame and how it clouds our perspectives on our own experiences and how compassion is an antidote to this. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I had recording it with Gabby. Again, I want to be super mindful of your time, but uh, Gabby, I have to tell you, I have all of your books and I feel like this book in particular, Happy Days kind of came into my life at absolutely the right time. And I think a really great starting off point would be talking about undoing patterns in our lives that keep us stuck, because this is something that comes up with me, with my work with patients and clients, and I see it in my own family members. And I'm certainly not immune to this myself, but it's something I'm actively working on. Mm -hmm. These things kind of show up for people in your experience or even in your own life. We all have patterns that we get stuck in. And those are typically patterns of protecting ourselves patterns of helping us avoid impermissible feelings and fearful experiences or things that we just don't want to face. And so when we start to notice those patterns and notice what we feel in those moments and then become conscious and aware of the ways that we avoid those feelings, that's a practice of starting to see how we could potentially look into the underbelly of the pattern. And so it's notice, notice what the pattern is, notice what it feels like, notice what you know about it. And then know, you know, what do you know about it? Is this an old pattern? Is this something that's been with me for a long time? Does it reflect a childhood experience? Is it even just something like, is it masculine? Is it a feminine pattern? Like, what is this? And then what does it need? What does this pattern need? So if you're speaking to the pattern of addiction, or if you're speaking to the pattern of fear, or you're speaking to the, or you can call it the pattern or the coping mechanism, whatever it is. And usually when you ask it what it needs, it says, I need to be hugged. I need to relax. I need to feel safe. I need to be seen. And so it really begins just by becoming curious about the patterns. And that's a really massive first step to undoing them. Well, and I think it's interesting because as I was reading your book and reflecting on my own coping mechanisms and patterns, one that really evolved for me growing up in kind of a tumultuous situation with my parents being divorced and alcoholism and a lot of different things that I grew up in was this praiseworthy behavior that you talk about and perfectionism. And so in what what I was patterned with as a child was that if I was perfect, 
if I got good grades, if I had the right friends, if I went to the right college, if I got the right job, then it deflected attention on the uncomfortable feelings of the traumas that I grew up with. And I know you talk about big T's and little T's. And even as a clinician, I was conditioned to believe that traumas have to be huge. And yet what I love about your book is that you give us permission to understand that it could be the kid in second grade that made fun of something that you have thought about and perseverated over your entire life or something that seemed fairly benign at the time, but comes up for you. And I feel like through the therapy that I've done throughout my lifetime and Reiki work, energy work, the things that have started to come up at this stage of life for me is really forcing me to reflect on the perfectionism that I've tried to pretend I don't have, mm-hmm. but how that has gotten in the way of connecting with my loved ones, including my relationship with my husband, because I feel this sense of everything has to be perfect and how incredibly freeing it is when we allow ourselves the opportunity to acknowledge it and then to really lean into those feelings. And so it's really brought up some incredible discussions. And for me, it's created additional boundaries with some individuals in my life so that I can be in my uncomfortable feelings and move forward and process them. And I think for a lot of people, it's much easier. And obviously I'm making a broad overgeneralization. It's much easier for many people to stay in those maladaptive patterns than it is to actually do the work. Cause you and I both know the work is, it can be arduous. It can be hard. It's not meant to be easy. I think it is sometimes a lot easier for people to stay stuck in the patterns easier in that it's temporarily numbing something that is so impermissible, but harder in that you never actually get to experience what freedom is. And the reason that we work so hard to stay committed to these managerial roles of you know controlling and protecting our lives or really protecting us from the fears of the past is because of the shame that lives beneath them. So you brought up you know feeling like you have to be a perfectionist because- mm-hmm. A part of you feels that if you're not being perfect, this is for all of us, this isn't me like, you know, therapizing you, but for all of us, we have the core wound of feeling unlovable and inadequate. And so we build up all these different ways of making sure that we are lovable, that we are adequate, that we are safe, that we are secure, that we are in control so that we never have to face the shame of knowing that maybe we weren't loved the way we were supposed to be, or that we may not have had the structure in our life or the security or safety that we deserved. And one of the other things you mentioned was divorce. And I think that this is such an important thing to acknowledge because so many people are like, oh, my parents just got divorced. I mean, this was me. Like I lived in such a dissociated state for so many years. I was like, my parents' divorce was amazing. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me because they were friends and that's fine. Like, yes, it was better for my parents to get divorced for them, for probably for us as well. But there was no acknowledgement of the trauma of what that looks like. And, you know, being in a broken home and the feeling that a child takes on, particularly in my case, I was nine and my brother was younger. He was like seven or something like that. And my parents literally, I said, I wrote about this in the book. They literally expected me to inform my brother with them that they were getting a divorce. So what message does that send to a child? You are responsible you have to take care of us. And in many ways, taking on the feeling of it's my fault. So I have to prove to everybody how great I am. And there's just so many layers to it all. But I think that the thing that's so profound is that you also said that in your clinical training, 
you were only taught to focus on the big T traumas, which is so fucking mind blowing to me. (laughs) Forgive my language, but I mean, what? Like every human is traumatized. No one is alive right now without living through trauma. We all live through COVID. But before that, we were all traumatized. And we have to normalize that word because it's not something to shun or shame. It's not to, you know, I keep saying that if I had written Happy Days, which is the Happy Days, the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. If I had written that book five years ago, I would have half the readers I have right now because there was so much stigma around trauma. Whereas now that we've lived through COVID and we're living through witnessing war and the trauma of the world, we can all kind of not necessarily just identify with the trauma that we're experiencing in real time, but also we've had this great sense of feeling unsafe in the world. And a lot of our coping mechanisms were no longer working. And with that, we've had to then face into the actual historical traumas that have caused us so much suffering throughout our lives. Because when things start to feel unsafe, old wounds get activated. And so you had two choices. You could just go deep into them and come out the other side, or you could numb out more. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. 
It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. Certainly a lot of the stories that I've been listening to with women over the past two years, a lot of it is talked about the way that people dealt with, you know, being isolated socially, maybe children not able to attend school, maybe not being able to do their work or having to work from home amongst having little people at home or even big people. I have teenagers. And so, you know, the way that we dealt with those feelings, those uncomfortable feelings, because, you know, there was uncertainty, there was fear that was going on, you know, within the media, it got to the point, even as a clinician, where I just stopped watching the news because it was so mentally disruptive to my well-being. And then on top of that, trying to be strong for my teenage boys and trying to reassure them that, yes, at some point, this will go back to some degree of normalcy. We won't have to have groceries delivered, you know, the just the absurdity, especially of the first, you know, four to six months. And so I think on a lot of levels, when we're talking about the traumas and, you know, revealing to ourselves things that have not been dealt with, like certainly for myself three years ago, and listeners know this, and, and I probably don't talk a lot about it publicly, but when I was hospitalized for 13 days and I almost died, it brought up a lot of stuff, a lot. I was actually surprised. You know, I've always, you know, prided myself on being strong and resilient and I can push through things. And what I started to realize was that I'm as human as anyone else. And I was every emotion you can imagine, fear, shame, like here I am, I'm super healthy. How could I get this sick? Fear of the unknown, like what's going to happen next when I had to go back and have to have a surgery six weeks later. I got completely triggered when they decided to do the surgery in the main operating room as opposed to the outpatient center. And my husband was watching me just kind of unravel. Like, I don't even know how to be supportive because I've never seen you like this. And I said, I think it's indicative of the fact that there were things coming up for me that I had buried and suppressed. And so working with a really good therapist and, you know, doing a lot of talk therapy and using a lot of Reiki and energy work for me has been profoundly healing. But I think for each one of us, we have our own ways of addressing and coping with things that make us feel really uncomfortable. And as you've already alluded to, sometimes that's addiction, but addiction can take so many different forms. I think about the fact that the only thing I could, I had control over was every day I would walk my poor dogs, probably walk four or five miles a day, but I would walk outside. That was like the one thing I could do to kind of get out of the house and move my body and think. And so I think each one of us, you know, over the last two years, it's shown us, you know, maybe it's shined a light on areas that we need to work on. And so I love that you brought up shame in particular, because even again, as a clinician, I feel like, you know, this shows up in different ways. And I love that you kind of touched on the sympathetic nervous system and how, you know, this fight or flight mechanism can be reactivated when we're trying to suppress all these emotions. And so I think, you know, from my perspective, one thing that was really important about the connection between shame and compassion is the understanding that compassion is the antidote 
to shame. And that really sat with me. Like I remember reading, I read your book twice, but the second time I read it, I felt almost like I had a weight lifted off my chest that that somehow it was like this beautiful message that I needed to hear right at that point. Like you said, books come to you when you need them. And so let's talk a little bit about the antidote to shame, because I think for a lot of us, it could be shame over something silly, not passing judgment, just saying it could be little things. It doesn't have to be something extraordinary and huge. Like, you know, you kicked your dog, which is terrible, but it could be something really, really big. And so let's talk about how compassion can help us move forward from that sensation and that feeling of shame. We all have shame and we're all running from it in different ways. And that shame is so impermissible. It's the most impermissible feeling and emotion. And it's often so impermissible that we actually dissociate from it. In my case, I didn't even identify as having shame until I was well into my work as a spiritual teacher and written half a dozen or more books and was already in my trauma recovery until I was safe enough to accept, oh my God, this is filled with shame. That's what I'm running from. Compassion is the antidote to shame. When we begin to extend compassion and that soothing energy of compassion, soothing, secure energy of compassion to the child parts of us that have so much shame, those child parts of ourselves can relax and feel safer in our system because what those parts of ourselves that carry that shame need most is to be seen and to be seen with compassion. And so if we can see ourselves through the lens of compassion and we can see our own shame through the lens of compassion, then what do we have to be afraid of? And it's interesting, even for me, I use this with myself, but also thought of a family member who has been an alcoholic their entire life. And it's been obviously really tragic to watch that unfold. This individual is now in their late seventies and it forced my heart to look very differently at this individual, really understanding that their alcoholism was just a symptom of traumas that they had grown up with that they had never dealt with. And this is their way. And, you know, someone that's close to 80 years old, there wasn't this growing awareness when they were growing up. And so it allowed me to feel a profound sense of compassion for their journey and their experiences. And I actually reached out to this individual and just let them know I was thinking of them. We haven't spoken in a while. And obviously, you know, it's a big issue of contention within my family that this individual and I haven't spoken very frequently, but it allowed me to kind of honor them for who they are and just to, you know, in my mind's eye to allow them the space and the respect that, you know, they're not going to be able to do the kind of work that your book embraces, but they have done the work for themselves as much as they are capable of and to just honor their individuality and and be compassionate about their journey. Well, I appreciate that you mentioned creating that boundary of distance because when we have that boundary of distance, it's actually a gift that we give the person because then we can see them through the lens of compassion rather than through the lens of shame and blame. And so sometimes the most loving thing to do is set the boundary and say, not really safe for me to be in your life, but I do love you and I forgive you and I respect you and I appreciate your great opportunities for growth in my life. And when we, you know, really have to look at addicts from that lens, I've been in recovery for 16 years. And so my hope is that people see my addict parts is through that lens of compassion. And because all addicts in some way have experienced some kind of trauma, typically big T trauma. And 
the addiction to whatever it might be, the extreme addiction is just a extreme way of managing the impermissible trauma. And so we all have different ways of running from the traumas of our history, but the bigger the T, the trauma, the more extreme the protection mechanism. And so in this case of addiction, it's typically because of a big T trauma. And I just, you know, I have a lot of compassion and love in my heart for addicts. And for those who do not have the privilege of getting sober and finding a program and getting support, it's really shitty life to live, to be in that constant hamster wheel of running, 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 running from the traumas of your past. Well, and I I just reflect on how different my life would have been if I didn't develop healthy coping mechanisms to deal with what I grew up in, because I wouldn't obviously be where I am and wouldn't have a healthy relationship with my husband and with my boys. And in many ways, I love and honor that when you talk about your relationship with your son, it reminds me how I've always said to my husband that I did not and would not recreate what I grew up in and how every day, every single day, I'm not exaggerating every day. It's a conscious effort to interact with my children differently than I grew up with to make sure that even though it's embedded in my DNA, you know, that multi-generational trauma that for me, it's so important that my boys start their lives. And obviously again, they're teenagers, they'll be leaving the house, which is hard to believe in a couple of years to go off to college. But for me, it's so, so important that I am fine tuning as I go along, like every day. And as they get older, it gets more complicated being a parent, at least in my estimations, it seems to be far more complicated the older they get, because now they're physically bigger than me. And they kind of are humored and laugh at some of the things I say, but I remind them all the time, like this cycle is broken. Like what I grew up with is not being recreated. And I'm very honest, like as they get older, I I share things that are appropriate to share with them that I grew up with. I obviously don't share everything, but for anyone who's listening and maybe grew up in traumatic circumstances to know that we can change the course for our children, that we have a blank slate with our children to actually change the dynamic in which we grew up in. Yeah. I actually experienced that this morning when I was growing up, I have very visceral memories of wanting my pigtails to be perfectly straight. And I would scream, you know, the bumps, the bumps, the bumps. And in retrospect, I can see it was just a form of trying to be in control. I was just feeling so out of control in my life because of the neglect and the trauma I'd experienced as a child that I just needed to be in control. But my parents, even to this day, have referenced that in jest, you know, like, oh, you were so, you know, this and that with the bumps and the bumps. And I just, you know, there's a, my parent part is like, no way am I going to do that to my kid. And so my kid who's three never wants to change out of the same outfit. And he wants to wear this Basquiat shirt that says Thor and his, his suckle pants, suckle pants, right? They look like soccer pants (laughs) and he won't change out of it. And we've gotten to the point where he'll let us now wash it so that he can put it back on, but he won't change. And so today I said, it's time to change. We're going to put on a new hockey outfit instead of the hot soccer outfit. And he just lost it, lost it, lost it. And so instead of saying, we have to do this and pulling the clothes off of him, I held him in my arms and I said, because I know he just wants to hold on to some sense of control. And I said, how do you feel? What is it that you, why is it that you feel you want to have these clothes? You know, why, what is it? 
And he just went on and I let him just talk and talk and talk, you know, because, you know, I'll take them and they'll get wasted and then they'll get ruined and they're going to be ruined. And he just went, you know, telling his whole story of what, you know, he's afraid of. And I just looked at him and I said, beautiful. So let's just make an agreement that we'll wash them later when you have your nap and then we'll put them back on. And this isn't going to harm my child to wear the same outfit every day. And he's, you know, three years old and his teacher understands and I can keep it clean. And, but more importantly, I cared about, I was like, you need your butt. Like in my head, I'm thinking about my own self. It's like, you need to have perfect pigtails. Like I can make that happen for you. And it's not that we want to just fix everything for our children because that's a different issue. But when it comes to recognizing and acknowledging that their tantrums are not just about the bumps in their hair and not just about the shirt and the soccer outfit, they're about needing to feel in control. And if that's the one area where he can help himself feel in control, then I can help him feel that sensation and also respect and honor any feelings that he's having about not being in control. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's dot com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery and each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, 
growth factors, and proline-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. As I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, promoting good gut flora, and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated, and cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose of three grams actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20. You definitely want to check this out. I love that story. And I have one boy who's now 14 who was exactly that way at that stage. And so I love that you are allowing him to feel everything he's feeling and you're finding an acceptable way, i.e. washing the clothes for him to manifest. I think my youngest, we actually had to buy like a double set. I think it were like these Adidas track pants. And that's exactly the the problem I'm having with the Adidas track pants and multiple (laughs) pairs. Exactly. What is it with those track pants? I think they like them because uh, my, my youngest is a little more like sensory sensitive. So for him, he didn't like anything rough and those track pants are so soft. I mean, they used to talk about, they would just like rub their fingers on their track pants, but I definitely remember the superhero stage with the track pants that was like consummate embedded in my mind. And I love that you are honoring who he is. And it's interesting right. to me, even with teenagers, my youngest, who definitely views the world differently than his older brother, who's very like focused, rigid, you know, in terms of, you know, whatever he does in school, he does exactly what they tell him to do. Very smart. And then my youngest is an outside the box thinker. And so my husband and and I have to parent him completely differently. And one of the peculiarities that came up during the past two years is that, you know, he started taking like, which is normal for a teenager. Some teenagers don't shower and others shower a lot. And so anytime he left the house, he would come home and have this whole ritual of he had to shower and he had to change his clothes. And my husband, you know, out of concern was like, is this obsessive compulsive? And I said, no, I think he has such little control over what's happening in his world right now, that the only way he can control it is to do this ritual. So we like we just kind of let him do, I don't even complain about the extra laundry. I'm like, this is just part of how he is able to control an otherwise uncontrollable situation. And he's actually come to me recently now that we're in a different part of the country where it it was a little less strict than where we lived before. And he was saying just how happy he was, how less constrained he felt, how, you know, for him, he really felt like he could embrace 
exactly who he is. Yeah. And this is why I tell people all the time, like you could have five kids, 10 kids, two kids, three kids, one kid, every kid has to be parented differently. Yes. And so I know for myself, when I was growing up, my parents were, you know, had to be, and it was also in the seventies and eighties and things were probably a little different than they are now, but parenting back then was pretty strict. It was like, this is the way things are. You know, I'm a dictator. This is not a democracy, which is something oh, I'm I quite familiar to. with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I remind- and it's hard, you know, when you have, when there's grandparents, right. And they think, oh, you're not saying no to him. And I'm like, I'm saying no all the time. I'm just, you don't notice because I'm not yelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I grew up with parents that yelled and I married someone who like me, we are introverts. Our house is pretty quiet, even though we have boys and two dogs. And I know for us that quiets my autonomic nervous system. And it's really important. Like I need to feel safe and like yelling and, you know, arguing like constant arguing and drama just really drains me. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that when, you know, my mother comes to visit, who's a wonderful human being. She'll say things like, you do too much for them. And I was like, mom, oh yeah, I only have so many years with my boys. Yeah. And if doing their laundry is not a big deal to me, I think that's okay. They know how to do laundry, but yeah. like doing laundry is not a big deal. But she'll say, right. oh, you're doing too much. And I said, well, I think I can speak from experience that there's a fine line between doing too much and not doing enough. And yeah. I feel like we're meeting their needs where they need to be met right now. And like when they leave the house, they'll be fairly independent adults, but it's interesting how parents can, or family members can view the lens of, you know, your parenting through their own experiences. And I that's right. Of course they do. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's beautiful too, though, because the most important thing we do is create a secure environment for our children internally and externally. So it's not about the laundry. (laughs) It's about (laughs) how safe they feel Mm -hmm. with that attachment to you. Absolutely. And it's interesting how And I say this with love and reverence, like when my kids were younger and they were only two years apart, people would say, oh, it's going to go by so fast. And the truth and the reality is like now that they are taller, bigger, you know, they're two years and four years away from going off to college. It just makes me feel very grateful that the patterns that I learned as a child uh, for the large part have not been part of their experiences growing up. And so that's a testament to your personal growth work. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, I wrote this book, Happy Days, and it's, I think, first a reparenting yourself, right? It's literally undoing the traumas of your past so you can be free in the present. But then the benefit of that, which is very much what you're reflecting right here, right now, is that when we do that work on ourselves, we don't, we end the cycle. We end that cycle of neglect or the cycle of abuse or the cycle of addiction or the cycle of just sort of dictator parent attitude. And when you can look back and say, wow, I haven't put those patterns in my kid, it's because you've healed them in yourself. And so I think that's one of the benefits of the book is you just have the beautiful experience of freedom in your own internal system. And you learn how to care for all your inner children with so much respect And then as a result, it gets so magnified in the care of your child or your children, your real children, your your outside children. (laughs) Yeah, no. And and thank you for acknowledging that. Now, I know that you share some very personal stories, you know, even the story of your postpartum experience with depression and very transparently. And I was just so profoundly moved by that whole experience for you. For individuals that are listening, that are going through tough times, that are dealing with traumas or, you know, transient mental health issues, you do go into quite a bit of 
things that you can do proactively beyond just talk therapy. And I would love for you to spend, you know, our last moments together, kind of touching on some of those, because some of these were new modalities that I had heard of, but I love that you kind of give a very broad stroke for how we can address these kinds of things that come up for us, that it's not just psychotherapy or talk therapy or medication, that there are many, many things that we can look at as tools to help with strategizing and addressing the uncomfortable feelings we're experiencing. Yeah, there's this book is really my journey of recovering from trauma. And then in my journey, as I always do, I share how I did it so that the reader knows there's a plan and their path may not be exactly like mine, but they have a path now. I hand them the way out and so they can use it however they feel they need it. In my journey, I've had a privilege of being able to experience the most transformational therapeutic and spiritual practices that are designed to heal trauma, some of which are EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And in the book, I share actually how you can practice EMDR in your own world with binaural music. And what it does is it stimulates both sides of the brain with bilateral brain stimulation from a buzzer in either hand or a buzz in either ear or even through tonal music. And when you process a energetic disturbance or experience from the past that needs to move through you from that place of the, with the binaural music or whatever it might be, the bilateral stimulation, it actually helps your brain reprocess the experience. And so I go into depth with that. I talk about somatic experiencing, which is a body-based trauma therapy. And the intention is to help you become present because when you have trauma, it's Peter Levine, the founder of SE says that trauma is the inability to be present. So when we start to bring it back to the body and move the trauma out of the body, it actually can not only regulate the nervous system, but it also can reorganize the patterns in the brain. And so that is a fascinating practice. I introduce what I am now trained in, which is internal family systems. And it's a therapeutic model that's designed to help you learn how to lead yourself, reparent yourself by establishing a connection to the undamaged resource part of who you are, which in IFS we call self with a capital S. This in particular is the most empowering practice I've ever known because it allows me to take care of every part of who I am. And I go into depth in it in the book and introduce it gently. And it's extraordinary, that practice. And then of course, there's countless body-based practices that I share and meditations and spiritual prayers, because all of that goes hand in hand with this other work. I think it's so beautiful that everything is put together in a book and the book itself is not so lengthy that it detracts from the message. I feel like it's really nice and concise and succinct. What are you up to next? Are you probably not wanting to work on another book right now, but are, do you have any other thing that's upcoming for you? Any focus? Are you doing a lot of traveling? Are you doing any events in 2022? I have been traveling every week. I'm going to (laughs) Vegas tomorrow. (laughs) I am continuing to share the messages from this book and give this book the respect and the platform that it deserves because this is my most important book yet. And so many of my readers have shared that on Amazon reviews and wherever else saying, I thought I couldn't, didn't think she could, you know, beat the universe has your back or whatever, which I mean, I can take a lot of pride in them loving these other books, 
but there is a depth in this book that I think is so resonant and you've read it twice. I mean, what a beautiful gift that is to an author to hear that. And I just have this sense of urgency and knowing that this is no accident, that God gave me the experiences in my life so that I could come out the other side so that I could write this book and deliver it at a time when the world has never been in more crisis than before and to show up. So my way of showing up right now is to spread this message and visualize this book in the hands of anyone who feels that they need support. Well, I'm so very grateful for all the work that you've done. I have most, if not all of your books and one came to me in exactly the right time. Please let listeners know how to connect with you outside of the podcast, how to grab a copy of Happy Days or any of your other books. I have a podcast as well called Dear Gabby, where I workshop people and talk about all kinds of things. And that's a beautiful place to find me. I You can also find out more about the book at deargabby.com slash happy days. And I'm very active on social media at Gabby Bernstein. So I'm out there. <laughs> well, wonderful. I'm so glad that we were able to connect today and uh, good luck on your trip. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you so much. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. 